At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. We'll be coming from a very familiar uh, scripture passage, chapter in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Now we'll read, the, the, the main focus is gonna be for, through the, the first 11 verses. We'll see if time allows us to get to uh, 12 and, and 13. So starting at verse one, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters and to take and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and that you may be, here it is, increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And the verse we could probably quote with our eyes closed. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Can I tell you a, a brief story? So I've been kind of going through some, some rough days, been going through a series of life changes. One day I was, 
I've never questioned whether or not God had left me, but I began to question whether God still bless you, whether God would still use me. And one day I got a text message from a friend of mine who's a pastor, pastors a church down in the West End, who asked me if I could come preach for him because he was going to be out of town. That was my confirmation that God would still use me. Over the next couple of days, I started thinking about what would I preach. I started thinking about my own crisis and situation that I was in and what I was, was going through. And I remember one Sunday morning, it was actually the Sunday morning that Dr. Showell preached, and Lord, didn't she preach. And I was sitting in the connection class. You were teaching. I was paying attention, but the Lord was speaking to me. And I remember writing down in my little notebook that my hopeful expectations are not defined by my crisis, but they are defined by my Christ. My hopeful expectations are not defined by my crisis, but they are defined by my Christ. I wrote that Sunday morning in the chapel before Dr. Showell preached. Didn't know what she was going to preach about. Didn't know that she had written a book. So get into the sanctuary, and pastors are talking about the book that she's written. I'm praying, Lord, let this man call my name so I can get this book. Didn't call my name, but I was able later, a few days later, to get a copy, a copy of the book. And then when she got up to preach, it just confirmed everything that the Lord was saying to me, not only about what to preach at my friend's church, but what I was going through that very moment, that God was speaking to me in the midst of my crisis. And that's right here in the very first verse. Look at what it says. Now, these are the words of the letter, don't miss that, that Jeremiah the prophet, prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, it was written to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God uses Jeremiah and writes a letter. You know, sometimes you've hear people say, well, if the Lord wants me to do that, he's going to have to send me a handwritten letter. Well, here it is. He sends a handwritten letter to the captives in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem. They're already in captivity. And one of the things that we can take, take assurance in is that no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, God will find a way to get a word to us. God will always speak to us. And let me add this. If somebody ever comes to you and says, what well, the Lord told me to tell you, I'll give you a secret. The Lord is not going to use somebody to tell you something he hadn't already told you in the first place. Now, they might confirm, reaffirm what he's already told you, 
but God's not going to keep his good word secret from you. Now, to add a little bit of context, we know that the children of Israel, the Hebrews, were going to be in captivity for 70 years. They knew this ahead of time. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes to know how long we're going to be in our storms? Wouldn't it be nice to know? I know the song says, I'm so glad trouble don't last always, but sometimes it feels like always is all the days. Maybe that's just me. But they knew ahead of time that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. You go back, I think it's in chapter 25. Jeremiah had to deal with a false prophet. This false prophet, Hananiah, in chapter 28 was basically like, nah, we're not going to be there in 70 years. Matter of fact, after two years, we all up out of there. I think that's how the message version reads, right? After two years, we're coming out. All the artifacts, everything that had been taken from Jerusalem, carried into Babylon, coming back from Babylon after two years. And what's funny is there's, there's, if I could reenact this scene in chapter 28, there's a, it's like Jeremiah's listening to Hananiah. And at some point he's like, amen. It's, it's in the text, amen. Let it be so. And then he goes on to say, however, <laughs> what you're telling them ain't the truth. Because God had already spoken and told them that they would be in captivity for 70 years. You got to be careful. Sometimes, you know, people like to say, someone used to say, everything that sounds good isn't good and sound. And sometimes you got to be careful about even me. I'll use me as a preacher, as a teacher. I shouldn't always and only just be saying things to make you feel good. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to deliver the word, the message of God. Now, sometimes it will make us feel good. But the intent is not to always make us feel good. Sometimes it's got to prick us. Sometimes it has to prune us. Sometimes it has to cut us in order for us to be shaped in the image that God wants us to be in. I believe it's somewhere that Paul talks about knowing Christ in the power of his resurrection. We always want to shout on that part. But the B side says, and in the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, if you and I are going to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to suffer. I hear you, Holy Spirit. It's just a part of it. But thank God, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to live a life of suffering. So, Hananiah is this false prophet. He's telling people, two years. Two years were coming out. Read in chapter 28, the Bible says that within two months, he was no more. He was gone. Died. You got to be careful how you handle the word of God. And I'm not saying the Lord is going to take me out in two months. I pray that's not the case. 
but I ought to preach and teach with the, the sense and the sensibility that it's that serious, that if I mishandle it, God may not, he may not strike me down, but he may not give me another opportunity. And let me add, add this, pastor didn't ask me to say this, nobody told me to put this in, in the notes. Even if I'm not a preacher, if I'm teaching a class, number one, what I teach has to be subject to the angel of the house and what's being preached and taught from the pastor. But I also, we all have to make sure that we are rightly dividing the word of God, handling with care. So God sends this letter to the people telling them, here's how you're supposed to live in captivity. It almost seems oxymoronic, right? In captivity, yet you're supposed to live. In a storm, yet you're supposed to live. As a matter of fact, that concept of being in Babylon, in crisis, in a foreign land, and worshiping God was something that was hard for them to understand. Because for them, worship happened in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so for them to be carried away into captivity, yet they're still supposed to worship God, they didn't, they wrestled with that. How, how, how are we supposed to do that? As a matter of fact, I think it's in Psalms 137, where people of uh, the, the Hebrews are in captivity. And it's almost like the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are making fun of them and saying, hey, make us happy. Sing us some of those songs of Zion. And someone says, how do we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? Many of us, don't raise your hand, just wink at me twice or nod or something like that, are in a strange land right now. That doesn't necessarily mean a strange land means living in sin. Strange land could mean I'm somewhere in a situation. I want to worship, but I can't get it out. I want to pray, but I ain't feeling it today. I want to go to church. I need to go to church, but I don't feel like getting up out of my bed. That is a strange land. How do we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? Well, brothers and sisters, I'm glad you asked. The first way tells us in verse one that God is gonna get a word to us even in a strange land. Even in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our storms, it's not a matter of, thank you, Holy Spirit. It ain't a matter of whether or not God is speaking. It's a matter of, am I listening? And who and what am I listening to? Sometimes you got to turn the TV off. I know you love Real Housewives of New Albany or whatever. I don't. There's so many of them now. I can't. I can't keep up. I know. You know. And sometimes those things are a good escape, right? I, I get it. I get it. But sometimes you got to turn the TV off. 
Sometimes you got to log off of Facebook. Not right now while Bible study is going on. Y'all stay, y'all stay on. But sometimes you got to get off of social media. Shoot, a lot of times you need to get off of social media. Because those things, if not handled properly, can consume. You ever, I'm going to go to bed early tonight. Next thing you know, you've been on YouTube for three hours. It's 3 a.m. and you got to get up at 5 and go to work. Sometimes you got to step away from social media to really hear and listen to what God is saying. So God sends, sends this, this letter by way of, of Jeremiah. And notice, before we even actually get to the letter, it tells us who the recipients, who the audience of the letter is. Basically, everybody that's in Babylon. And then in that latter part of verse 1, it says, All the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away. That's an important part that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away. This pastor says, put a pit in that. We're going to come back to that when we get to verse 4. Verse 2 says, this happened. All of this happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes, all these other folks departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent, and this even tells us it was sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember verse 1, it said, all the people who had been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar here, this letter, God is funny sometimes. This letter goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now let's read the intro in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. There it is right there. Now, I know we read in verse 1, it said, Nebuchadnezzar carried the people away. Then we read that this letter was sent to Nebuchadnezzar. And the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar has to read <laughs> is that, wait a minute, what you mean? I brought these people here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This says, whom I have caused to be carried away. God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish the children of Israel for their sinfulness. God wanted them to know you are where you are because that's where I wanted you to be. Amen. We need to understand that every time we go through some difficulty, it's not necessarily because we did something wrong. Sometimes we are where we are because that's where God wants us to be. And it's important. That's why it's important to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so you can know the difference. Okay, God. Yesterday, I was, I have a lot of conversations with God in my car. I spend a lot of time in my car for one, one reason. But I had dropped my son off at school. Mm. And I was on my way back home, and I was 
struggling with why am I continuing to go through these issues? Evidently, I'm not, I'm not getting something. I'm missing something. God, what am I missing? And he spoke to me. I got to go back and look and study this. He spoke to me about the difference between submission, giving up my will, and succumbing. That there's a difference between, who Jesus, submission and succumbing. Submission, not my will, nevertheless, thy will be done. Me saying, I can't do this on my own, God. I've tried it my way. I'm ready to do it your way. And I realized I had been succumbing. I had been giving up to the conditions of what I had been going through and thinking that this is just how it's supposed to be. There's a difference between submission and succumbing. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta study that some more. For me, I know it means I gotta stop giving up and just accepting, well, I guess I'm just gonna always have this issue. I guess I'm just gonna always struggle with this. No, no, sometimes we've got to, not sometimes, all the time, we need to stop, let God show us the lesson. If you ask, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, he's got the blueprint. He doesn't just have the blueprint. He drew up the blueprint. He's, he didn't just draw it up like somebody told him how to draw it. He's the master architect. So if we've got questions about what's going on in our life, I don't need to go ask, you know, some third party vendor. I don't need to go ask a consultant. I don't even need to go ask a teacher. I can go to God myself and ask him. Old song used to say, God is still on the throne within your bosom you have a phone wherever you walk you're not walking alone because God is still on the throne you can go to God for your answers and trust me he can handle whatever question you have he can handle it so Nebuchadnezzar gets this letter and I'm sure he had to be like what is this God sends this letter it's, it's to the people Nebuchadnezzar receives it and look, at, look, here's how you know God was in control. Nebuchadnezzar read the letter, and it still went to the people. Okay, let me say it again. God sent a letter to tell the children of Israel how to live in captivity. A bunch of people were the recipients, the audience, but at first, it goes to Nebuchadnezzar, who was responsible for carrying the people out of Jerusalem into Babylon. And he reads the letter, sees what it says, and yet lets the people have it anyway. 
that, that, that ought to tell us that no matter, I don't care how many haters, who comes against you, who doesn't like you, if God before you, he's more than the world against you. And God will get his word to you. Build houses. What? We're in a strange land. We're in captivity. You want me to build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit and take wives and beget sons? And he says all of this. And then in the latter part of verse 6, I missed this the first time I started looking at this. That you may be increased there in my crisis. Now I know, you know, pastor's been preaching, teaching, talking about elevation and increase. And maybe, maybe it's just me, you know, I think about it in terms of, in, you know, in good times, you know, when things are going well, it's easy for me to see elevation and increase. But this is telling me that even in my darkest days, that God has a plan to elevate and increase me, that the conditions don't matter, that the only thing that matters is God. And so I don't, I don't know what you might be going through. Maybe you're not going through anything. <laughs> I, know, I know I am. Maybe it's just this side. I don't, I don't know. But I know, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to see, you know, you see the, you, you're in a tunnel. You see a light. And you're like, I just know this is a train. I, I know that whatever that is, I'm not even walking towards that light. But I promise you, if you walk in the light, not just walk to the light, walk in the light, the beautiful light, come where his mercies. <laughs> Let me calm down, I'm gonna beat up the podium. Don't tell pastor I'll beat up his podium. But, but, but we have to not just walk to that light. We've got to walk in the light, and that light is Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says that you may be increased there and not diminished. I know I have a tendency to think personal pity party, right? Lord, I'm going through this thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not... You know, I'm just going to stay over here. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows my sorrow. But we don't go through the, these things aren't meant to diminish us. They're not meant to. Yeah, it might be. It'll hurt. That's kind of the point. It's a little tough. But even in that pain that God has a way of increasing us. So it says, seek the peace of the city. What you mean? I ain't praying for these fools. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. And the city could represent anything that's coming against you. 
anything that's entrapping you, anything that has imprisoned you, and I'm not talking about LaGrange or Eddieville. Some of us, our hearts are in prison, our souls are in prison, our minds are in prison. Anything that makes us feel like we can't make it. This is saying, telling us that not only that God wants to increase us, but he wants us to pray for the city, pray for those who despitefully use you. Ooh, boy. I said, that's, that's, I told you, it, it don't always make us feel good, <laughs> right? But that's, that's the word. And I would imagine, you know, as, as the folks are, are in captivity and they're hearing these words and they're thinking about, now these dudes done brought us all the way here. We can't, can't go to church. I can't get to, you know, I can't watch my favorite show. I can't, all I can do is what they tell me to do, when they tell me to do it and how they tell me to do it. And you want me to pray for them? What? But I promise you, I, pro I promise you, don't give, don't give in to that, that, that tendency to, you know, we pray, but it's more P-R-E-Y versus P-R-A-Y. God sick them like he's our personal pit bull, like he's an attack dog. God get, you see what she's doing to me. God is saying that we should pray Pray for those people. It's okay. Pray that the Lord help them to see their ways. Help them to come to know you better or to draw closer to you. But we should be praying even for our enemies' well-being. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a living witness that when you do it, you begin to feel better. And not only do you begin to feel better, but God starts opening doors and protecting you in ways that you never even imagined you needed to be protected. Pray for the city. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. I can't explain it. But there's something about when someone is trying to hurt you and you don't give them the satisfaction of the reaction that they are looking for. Some people call that gaslighting. When someone says something or does something just to provoke a certain response. I'm, I'm telling you, there's some sense, like sometimes I even have to turn away and smirk and just thank God because I see what he's doing and I see how he's protecting me. Not only pray for the city, pray to the Lord for it. Pray to God for those family members, those ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-husbands, ex-wives, ex-bosses. Yeah, even the bosses. Pray for them. 
maybe even especially them. <laughs> but in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. This messed me up. Nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Sometimes we can't get out of our own heads. And when this, I've, 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 I've looked at this, I don't know how many times. I've looked at it again this morning, and it, it hit me um, specifically to my own situation. Because like I said, some, I know I'm my own worst enemy. I can overanalyze and outthink a situation to the nth degree. And sometimes that just breeds anxiety and depression. And the next thing we realize, we're immobile because we've fabricated all of these made up scenarios in our heads about what may happen, what could happen. And half the time, those folks ain't even thinking about you. And, and, and here it is, you can't sleep. You, 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 you don't feel like getting up. You're too tired to get up because you couldn't sleep the night before because you, you're thinking so much about, you know, well, I was gonna say Sally Mae, but I kinda am thinking about Sally Mae. And I'm praying that the Lord <laughs> We'll take that whole city and do away with my student loans. But anyway, so that I might have peace, Lord. That's that's what that's that's why. Right. But 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 we spend so much time thinking about other folks who ain't even thinking about us. And and I, I you know, the, 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 somewhere in Isaiah it says, He that keepeth Israel, right, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And I figured, well, if God's gonna be up, why am I gonna be up? I'm gonna go on and, and get me a good night's sleep. But when we're in our own heads and creating these woulda, shoulda, couldas, and what if this happens, and I know she's looking at me because of this, or I notice he didn't, usually he shakes my hand. He didn't shake my hand today, so something must be wrong. Maybe his hands were dirty. Maybe, you know, if you knew where his hands had been, you didn't want him to shake your hand, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't know. But we, we, we play these games with our own minds and then Satan's just, see? In, in basketball, uh, there's a term called self-check, right? Which, which basically, anybody who's played ball knows that if, if I've got the basketball, well, not me, because I'm left-handed and I can shoot, so, I mean, <laughs> If somebody else has the ball and I'm guarding them, that I can look at them and pretty much tell they don't know what to do with the ball when the ball is in their hands. And so I can say self-check, meaning I don't even have to guard them. I can just stand because they don't, they don't know how to shoot, they can't dribble, they can't handle what's in their hands. And there are a whole lot of self-professed Christians that are self-checked. 
that can't handle the resources that God has given them. They don't, we don't know how, can't find Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Don't pray. And so Satan's just looking at us, I ain't even got to come against them. Now that's how, another way you know that God's got you right, if you feel like, man, why won't Satan leave me alone? Because if Satan is looking at you like, ah, uh, yeah, he ain't, I don't have to worry about him. He ain't going to pray. He ain't going to witness. He's not going to share the gospel with anybody. But if you're somebody and you sharing the gospel, you're trying to live right and trying to do the right thing, and it feels like Satan's always coming up against you because he knows. You're dangerous with the weapons you have in your hands. And so he has no choice but to try to come up against you. But the good news is that the Bible says that the Lord is looking to show himself strong when we're weak. And so while, you know, I imagine this, this cosmic battle between God and Satan. On one hand, it says that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, who, when you watch those nature shows, who do the lions go after? They go after the young, the most vulnerable, the weakest, the sick, right? They don't go, out, go after the head of the pack, the strongest, the ones who are off alone, right? If you're not coming to the church house, you're off alone, you're vulnerable. If you're not praying daily, you're vulnerable. You don't have a daily devotion, you're vulnerable. But fortunately, God is looking. Okay, who can I, who can I show up in today? Mm. That's how Job got to be where, where he was going through. And have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, but you got this hedge of protection. But I tell you what, you can... You can touch him, but you can't take him, right? So we need to know, number one, we're talking about verse, verse eight there, that, that be part of that verse. Don't listen to your own dreams that you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy, again, going back, talking about these false prophets, they prophesy falsely to you in my name, I didn't send them. Well, it says, I have not sent them, says the Lord. Right? For thus says the Lord. It's just something about when you read and it says, for, for thus says the Lord. It's authoritative. Right? After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. God is always, thank you Holy Spirit, working on your escape plan. He always has a plan for you to get out of whatever it is that you were in. People said you, you know, as far as storms are concerned, you're either in a storm, going into one, coming out of one. God always has a plan. How do we know he has a plan? Verse 11 tells us, for I know. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. 
I mean, that feels, it just feels like a daddy talking right there, right? <laughs> For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thought of peace. Is your life full of turbulence? That ain't of God, right? Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So knowing that God has a plan and a way that he wants to bring me out of whatever it is that I'm in ought to give me hope. Even if I don't know what the plan is. Just because I don't know the plan doesn't mean there isn't a plan. I can't see your heart beating, but that doesn't mean it's not beating. So God says, do all of these. I want you to live. I want you to build these houses. I know you're in a strange land. Don't worry about it. When the 70 years is up, I'm coming to get you. Because I know, and that's it right there. It's a promise. And if God speaks it, he's got to perform it because his name is at stake. For I know the plans, the thoughts that I have towards you. Plans, thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I think King James says an expected end, right? There's an end, brothers and sisters. There is an end. One of my favorite commercials, and I'm going to take my seat, is any Pittsburgh Steelers fans in the house? I don't have a yellow towel, but pretend this is a yellow towel. There's a head and shoulders commercial with Troy Palomalu, his flowing locks of hair, right? And um, Patrick Mahomes, who's the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the first scene is Patrick Mahomes, they're in a grocery store. And Troy comes up and he says, store-bought sushi? Really? And so Mahomes is like, Troy, what, what are you doing here? And Troy says, I'm never not working. <laughs> Next scene, I think um, Mahomes is in his car in a car wash. And Troy comes up and he cleans off, off the windshield. And again, he's like, Troy, come on. Never not working. The next scene, they're on a golf course, and all you hear is this, this lady say, oh, Troy, you're such a great golf teacher. Troy says, I know. And then he looks dead at Patrick Mahomes, and he says, never not working. I don't care what the situation is. There is never a time that God is not working. He is always working on your behalf. So whether it's financial difficulty, he's never not working. If it's marital difficulty, he's never not working. If it's anxiety or depression, he's never not working. God is always working. For he knows the plans that he has towards you. Plans of good and not of evil. To give you hope and a future. God bless you.
the people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.